This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. Thousand six hundred and three years ago, in 586 BC, the city of Jerusalem was captured and burned to the ground by the king of Babylon. This was a very tragic event. There were many lives that were lost and much destruction and devastation. God allowed this tragic event because his people had refused to turn away from evil. The prophet Jeremiah had warned the people of Judah over and over by telling them, turn back to God. And then in 539 BC, almost 50 years later, Babylon was defeated and taken over by the Persians. And almost immediately after the change in government, a uh, group of Jews led by Zerubbabel were allowed to return to their homeland to rebuild the temple. 58 years after that, Ezra, a scribe, led another group of Jews to Jerusalem to enforce God's law in the city. Thirteen years after Ezra returned to Jerusalem, Nehemiah came on the scene. And that's where we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, and it was his responsibility to taste anything that the king would drink to make sure that it had not been poisoned. If there was poison in the drink, then Nehemiah would have died before the king. So what an interesting job to have when your life is constantly at risk. That was Nehemiah's job. And he was the cupbearer for the king. When Nehemiah's brother came to visit one day, Nehemiah asked him, Hey, how are the Jews doing? How are our brothers and sisters doing? In Jerusalem, and this was his reply Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. This news is the foundation for all the events that take place. ...in the 13 chapters of the book of Nehemiah. And so let's read now in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. It says, Early the following spring, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign... ...I was serving the king his wine. I had never appeared sad in his presence before this time. So the king asked me, Why are you so sad? You aren't sick, are you? You look like a man with deep troubles. Then I was badly frightened, but I replied, Long live the king. Why shouldn't I be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been burned down. The king asked, Well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please your majesty... And if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Let us pray. Father, we come before you today. Lord, our heart is open and our ears are open. 
to hear and to receive the things that you want to speak to us. Lord, I ask that you would guide us today so that we can see your character better and then we can understand how you would want us to conduct our lives. God, I know that you're in the restoring business, but restoration can be hard work. And sometimes the hard work that is involved dissuades us from following through and seeing the transformation. But I pray for courage today, that you would speak to me, to men and women in this room, that we would be up to the challenge and the task to see that which has been broken down, rebuilt. And that we will see those things that the enemy has stolen, restored to their rightful place. We can do it with your help. And we ask for your wisdom as we look into your word in Jesus' precious name. And I ask for your anointing, Lord, to minister your word with power. In Jesus' name, amen. Satan's whole purpose and intention is to destroy your life and mine in any way that he possibly can. But Jesus came to restore, to restore everything that has been destroyed and to give you and I a new and victorious life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 9, the scripture says, when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I'm here, he will quickly reply. Remove the yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as the noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities, then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. A rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Nehemiah was a person who was ready to serve. He was serving the king, but more importantly, he was serving the Most High God. God is never caught off guard by the tactics or the weapons of the enemy. God is looking for workers, skilled workers, who are not afraid of the enemy, but rather capable of wielding tools of mass construction. And I believe that if we're going to see a transformation in the city of Springfield and the surrounding community, there is going to have to be some hard work that is done by us. Now, when we pray, we pray and we ask God to do stuff. 
we say, oh God, would you? And then we fill in the blank. Would you do this? And would you do that? And would you please move upon this heart? And would you break the bondage over here? And would you do this? And God's heart is to answer those prayers. The scripture tells us that when we come into his presence and we seek him, we must believe that he is that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I am convinced that the vibrant life of this church is centered and rooted in our coming before the heavenly father and seeking his face. And as we seek him, then he pours out his spirit. Then he heals those who are broken. He is the one who touches people's lives. I want to preach a message that you'll be able to understand and that is encouraging and and uplifting and also to speak the word of God uh, even in conviction as needed. But the message in itself without the power of the Holy Spirit can be dry and dead and powerless. The Apostle Paul said, I did not come to speak to you with wisdom in the sense of the world. Something that will impress you. Or some mental gymnastics that will keep you uh, mentally engaged alone. But the Apostle Paul said, I came to speak to you the word of God with power. And that power doesn't come from the preacher. That power comes from the Most High God. And the power of God that is going to make the difference is going to make the difference not just through a preacher, but through you. Because we are the body of Christ. God has called all of us to a task. And we're going to look at that a little more in detail as we see what happened here in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah sees that there is a great problem. His family back home in Jerusalem are facing great challenges. The walls are broken down, which literally mean that the enemy can come and go as they please. Have you ever been in a situation where it's felt like the enemy could walk in at any time he wants and do whatever he wants and leave and and come as he wishes? I've been in homes where the spirit of chaos has run rampant. And the moment you walk in the house, you sense the spirit of the enemy there. Sometimes, even in places where there is a person in that home that is trying to serve God. See, giving our lives to Christ doesn't automatically win every battle without a fight. There are some spiritual battles that will not be won in our own lives, in our home, in our church, without a spiritual fight. And so you and I have to be prepared for that. Nehemiah, he looked at the situation and the first tool of construction that he utilized was prayer. The very first thing he did when he heard the bad news from his brother, it says in verses 5 to 11 as follows. He cried out to God and he said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. Listen to that. Praying night and day. And day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family 
and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants, O Lord. Please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Anything that is worth doing is worth seeking the Lord over. Every new ministry that's starting in 2017, the failure or success of that ministry is going to be based on the ability of the power of the Holy Spirit to have access to minister through those involved in the ministry. Because we're like faucets. And if we allow the Lord to work through us, he is the one who does the work. Whether it's the street team, whether it's the nursing home team, whether it's the kids dance praise team, whether it's the men's ministry uh, class on Sunday morning, the women's ministry class, the new believers class. Every ministry that goes on in this church is only as effective as we allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. That's why Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. And he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth in Christian Life Center, as it's already being done in heaven. When Nehemiah was praying, he wasn't praying anything essentially new. He was simply bringing into remembrance the Lord of his promises. He was essentially saying, oh God, would you please remember what you said? Would you remember that you said that if we disobeyed, we would be scattered, and we are, but would you also remember, oh God, that when we pray, you said that you would bring us back. You would restore us once again. Now, God doesn't have memory loss. So you may say, well, why do we need to remind God about things he said? Oh, it's not so much a matter of reminding him. But it's about us remembering. And yet, while we remember God has so ordained it that he gets happy when we remind him. Because when we remind him, that means we are remembering. The be one of the best ways to pray is to take the word of God and to pray before the Lord things he has already said. God, you remember you said this? I'm looking forward to it happening in my life. God, you said that if I seek you first, that you would add all this other stuff that's been all, all my mind so often. You said you'd take care of that, right? I'm reminding you of that, oh God, and I'm going to seek you first. And as we pray the word of God, God is going to work out his plans in our lives. So Nehemiah brings the whole situation before God and he says, give me success when I speak to the king. When you bring any situation before the Lord, 
He has a way of working that is outside of your control. I had multiple situations when, and, and I'm sure it's here as well. It's just part of life. <coughs> but in our jobs, sometimes we can find ourselves almost corralled into a schedule, and, and it seems very unique that at times that schedule squeezes our time with God out. And all of a sudden you're required to work on Sunday mornings. And then on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night. And, and it's almost as if the circumstances are pushing you to a point where you have to make a choice. So what do you do? Say, well, if I make a, a firm stance on that, I might lose my job. And I, want, I need to work. And, and sometimes there are jobs that require working on during times when we gather together for worship. Uh, we have nurses and doctors that need to be on call uh, for spe special situations, but not every type of job is that way. So what do we do? To prioritize our time with the Lord, we have to start by seeking the Lord. It all starts there. Uh, when I was pastoring on the island, there was this gentleman who uh, was a bus driver. And his schedule, because he fell in line of seniority, uh, or less than seniority, um, he had to work every Sunday morning. And that's what they told him. You're going to keep working here. That's the slot we have. You're gonna, and he had to provide for his family. So what does he do? We said, so I said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray. We're going to pray that God will open the door. We prayed and we prayed. And lo and behold, God opened the door. And he ended up being the sh able to shift his schedule so that he would be able to have that time to gather together with the saints and to worship the Lord. So when you find yourself where circumstances, and the enemy can use circumstances, but let's just say circumstances are pushing you to kind of get away from keeping the Lord first, the very first thing you need to do is say, God, I want you to be first. It feels like I have all this pressure to put you second. But I choose to seek your face. And you watch and see what God will do. He'll make ways for you where there seems to be no way. Nehemiah came before the Lord. He said, God, would you give me favor? So here's what happened. So Nehemiah goes before the king and he's sad. And he says, this is what's going on. My brothers in Jerusalem, are facing these great challenges. And the king says, what can I do to help you? This wasn't his family. This was not a Jewish king. This was a Gentile king. Who could, for all intents and purposes, care less about what was going on in Jerusalem. But God put it on his heart. And out of his mouth he said, what can I do to help? And amazingly, God gave favor to Nehemiah. He gave favor that even a Gentile leader would help him. God is a God of restoration. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God wants to restore you. What has been destroyed in your life? What news have you received that tore your heart in two? Are you in a troubled marriage? Are you in a troubled relationship? Are you in debt 
and you can't see a way out? Has drugs or drinking got a hold on your life? Is someone in your family on the verge of death? You're not sure what to do. You have hope. And your hope is in God. If the trouble that you face is due to a bad decision that you have made, ask God for forgiveness. He'll forgive you. And when he forgives, he's always in the business of restoring. Maybe the trouble you're facing is not your fault at all. God knows all the details. Turn it all over to him in prayer. The scripture says when our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. Because there are times where you might feel guilty about something that you have no business feeling guilty about at all. But when you come before the Lord, he sees it all. The first step in rebuilding anything in your life is to pray. Come before the Lord in prayer. I just want to make a note. We prioritize things that matter to us. And so when we seek the Lord and we put him first, it shows that that's important to us. Now, we get very excited about sports events and things that happen. And there's great excitement and there's fun. And God wants us to have fun, doesn't he? He's a fun God. He enjoys us enjoying life. But I want to say this to you. We can never allow the events of this world to become priority over God. If you plan to be involved in a Super Bowl party or some great event where you get together and have fun with the guys, that's great. Enjoy it. But I challenge you with this. If you're willing to set aside time for that, would you just equally set aside time for seeking God in prayer? Because that's critical. I don't know what you're going to do on Super Bowl Sunday. But I want to ask you this. Would you prioritize the Lord in all that you do? Prioritize God. Who's more important to you? So sometimes what happens is we get all excited about something, we put everything else on the shelf, and we're able to say, yep, this is priority, I love it. But then when it comes to seek the Lord, oh, wait a minute, I have this to do, I have that to do, I have this to do. And we have all these reasons, excuses really. So it's okay to set aside fun times, but here's my challenge to you. Set aside times to seek the Lord as well. Set aside time to seek the Lord. Because if we get our priorities out of order, then we will be a powerless church. And my prayer is that we will truly keep God number one. That's very important. So yes, let's set aside fun times, but let's set aside time to seek the Lord because friends, we're living in very serious times. And we have got to stay engaged in the spiritual battle. Every Sunday night, as, as Gillian mentioned, we get together. And I'm so thankful for those who come. But I want to tell each and every one of you in this place this morning, this church should be as packed on a Sunday night as it is on a Sunday morning. I'm not sure what all of you are doing on Sunday night, but you need to be here especially the leaders in this church. You, have, you need to be present when we seek the Lord. I tell you that because if we're going to see God do anything in this city, it's going to be because we seek the Lord. 
when God did a wonderful work in the city of New York through the ministry of Jim Cimbala, it wasn't because of his preaching, and he'll tell you that. It wasn't because of some great big music group that came and people wanted to come hear the music group. It was simply because they gathered on a regular basis to seek the Lord. And so that's why I plead with you. If we're going to see construction of the spiritual level in this city, it's got to start with us getting together. And more, and I know there's reasons that are legitimate, but more and more we've got to put aside the petty stuff and say, God, I'm going to set aside time to seek you. Because that's what's going to make the difference in our church. The second thing is a plan. Without a plan, most houses, buildings, and cities could never be built. A plan is crucial to the construction process. Nehemiah didn't even share his goals with the people in Jerusalem until he had a plan. We begin, we continue rather, reading in verse 12. He says, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall, and finally I returned back and entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone, or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. I believe firmly that sometimes it becomes a challenge to rally other people to a cause that maybe is a good godly cause because we haven't yet learned to rally ourselves to the cause. Because when God does a work in us, it prepares us for the work he wants to do through us. And there have been times where I have been undisciplined in an area. And then I've wanted someone else to be disciplined in that very same area. And the Holy Spirit has spoken to me and said, Joseph, you don't have authority in that area because you haven't yet surrendered that area of your life to me. And it is so true. And so I have learned more and more, and God is still working on me, that if I want to see God work in this church body, that I need to allow him to do that work in me. Because then when I speak, there will be a spiritual authority that comes as opposed to just me wanting stuff to get done around here. You know what I mean? Because it's his work. It's his will to be done. And so if God has given you some level of leadership or responsibility, keep this in mind. If you're feeling ineffective in that area, come before God and say, God, do the work in me. Bring my own life into order. Because the truth is, every single one of us are, are not capable for the task without the help of the Lord. Nehemiah recognized that. Now, Nehemiah is an example of someone who had an excellent ability to rally people together to get a job done. He had people gather together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and the job was completed. Anybody remember how many days? 
52 days. 52 days, the walls were completed. Why? Well, it didn't happen because Nehemiah was out there doing it all by himself. But the way that it worked was everybody who lived in a specific section, their job was to work on that part of the wall. And as everybody worked on that part of the wall, it went up all the way around the city. Every single one of us have a portion of responsibility. And God wants us to take that responsibility and to use it for his glory. As Nehemiah communicated to the people, most were responsible to do their job. It says that there were some who actually refused to chip in and do their part. But for the most part, in chapter 3, verse 6, it says that the people worked with all of their heart. And then it says these, no, the nobles of Tekoa, uh, in chapter 3, verse 5, would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. You're always going to find people who want to do their own thing, and they're not willing to chip in and do the work. Even Nehemiah had that trouble. Nehemiah said, okay, let's, let's get to work here. Let's do this. And they're like, ah, no, we're not going to do that. That we have to leave in the hands of the Lord. But we have to do our part and we have to mobilize the troops for the glory of God to get the job done because Jesus is coming back soon. The enemy always sees forward motion and he's never quiet about it. Chapter 2, verse 10, it says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Let me reread that again. These, these two men heard about what was happening and they were disturbed. Uh, because someone was in pain and struggle? No. They were disturbed because someone actually cared about God's people. The moment that you begin to get your hands and your heart working for the glory of God, the exact same thing is going to happen. The enemy is going to hear news that there's restoration going on at Christian Life Center. And you know what the enemy is going to do? Say, that doesn't make me happy. And he's going to begin to work havoc. And we need to be prepared for that. So listen, what happened? When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became very angry, greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews that in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, who was at his side, said, what are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Whenever God is working out a plan of construction in your life and in your family, be assured the enemy is going to be whispering over your shoulders and saying, are you kidding? It's been years that you have been living in a broken home. It has been years that your marriage has been out of, out of God's peace and control. Do you think you're actually going to see God change it? And the enemy is going to laugh and he's going to say the walls that you are building to try to protect. Oh, if even a fox climbed on it, it'd fall apart. The enemy is always 
trying to destroy and trying to ridicule God's work. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, we read that Satan accuses those who believe in God every night and every day. Aren't you glad that Satan doesn't influence God? Just as Nehemiah's enemies ridiculed the Jews, calling them feeble and their project a joke, sometimes we're tempted to doubt that what God is doing in us is really worth the effort. In fact, not only does the enemy affect us by the things he says, but he wants to discourage us from participating in the plan. Nehemiah faced enemies on all sides, Arabs from the south, Ammonites from the east, Ashdodites from the west, and Samaritans from the north. And this called for the next tool of mass construction. And oddly enough, it was a weapon. Yes, God uses weapons as tools of construction. When he called Jeremiah, he said, I have called you to tear down certain things and to build up other things. Because sometimes the construction can't begin until there's a demolition. And God needs to do some things in our lives that upset things. If you go to a place and you have a, a wonderful master plan of something beautiful you're going to build, and there's a bunch of junk buildings on the place, you've got to tear them down. And sometimes there have been all these things in our hearts, sometimes idol altars that have to be torn down, sometimes things that have no business that take the place in God's temple. And we've got to get them broken down and taken out so that what God wants can be there. That's why Jesus entered into the temple and he took the tables and he flipped them over and he said, this, is, this is, has no place in here because my father's house is to be called a house of prayer. So in order for it to be that, it wasn't that God just wanted a prayer meeting started in the place. No, he was saying, this stuff has got to go. And then when you seek me, it's from your heart. So sometimes demolition is necessary. And so weapons can be a tool uh, for God's construction process. Nehemiah needed a strong defense, and yet he had no army. These were people who were unskilled, and yet there was the enemy coming to advance against him. His workers were busy building the wall. What a difficult task. But the men that you have that need to be doing all the work are also needed for the defense. What are you going to do? You can't split it up because you wouldn't have enough people to get the job done. What could he do against so many enemies? So how did he handle the situation? Chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And when our enemy heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. 
Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by, day, by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Now, one of the challenges that we face in a church setting is that sometimes there's a, a general ratio that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And so those who are doing the work sometimes can feel overwhelmed because they don't have time to be able to do all they need to do in the church as well as their home and their family life and their work. God did not intend for the church to operate that way. He intended for the burden to be shared across the board. And I want to tell you, my friends, if we are going to advance as a church, we are going to advance together as a team. And that's really critical. I'm glad you're sitting in a chair. Hopefully uh, you're enjoying the comfort of that chair. But there is a time to stand up and to get out of that chair and to do something that is uncomfortable for the glory of God. These men were holding a tool in one hand, a weapon in the other, and they didn't even get to change their clothes. Now, granted, it probably was a bit of a smelly group of people for a period of time, but the job was getting done for the glory of God. And there are gonna go th you're gonna go through seasons that God's gonna give you a little extra responsibility don't complain about it. Don't murmur. Oh, man, I haven't showered in days. Here, I got, I, I, how can I multitask? I'm trying to do this, trying to do that, can't do anything well. Be focused. What has God asked you to do? And if he asks you to do two things at the same time, do it for the glory of God. It won't last forever. But don't complain. Because it doesn't do any good. And I've said this to others, and I say it to you in general. It's better to not do something in this church than to do something and always complain about it. Because it's contagious. And as we do what God has called you to do, then we're going to see the walls built. And when I think of walls, that wall specifically was going to bring protection. The enemy was not going to be able to come in and they would have peace. The enemy has sometimes been able to do whatever he wants to do in our families and in our lives. And my prayer as your pastor is that with God's help, we'll establish spiritual walls. Do you remember when Job was going through what he went through? The scripture says that God allowed for a period of time and for a specific purpose, a hedge of protection that was around Job to be infiltrated, but God allowed it. But there was that hedge. 
you and I must have that hedge around our homes. And my prayer is that the enemy will not have unfettered access to your family. And for that to happen, there has to be hard work that is done. And it's one of the reasons why we're having this marriage conference. Because where does the enemy want to get his foot in the door? Right at the head. Right at the top. If mom and dad are fighting all the time, if they can't get it together, what do you expect the kids to do? What do you expect? And so what do we do? We can't always find a natural resolution to everything. The scripture says, it's not that we love God first, but that he loved us. So we learn about how he loves us, because honestly, I can't love my wife the way I should in my own self. There are times in my human nature that I feel like saying something that should not be said. And who's the one who's going to help me control myself? Oh, I'm not, I'm not self-willed enough to be able to do that. It's only the Spirit of God. And vice versa, I'll say the same thing. No doubt my wife has had times where the Holy Spirit has had to help her to be able to control things that she would like to say because of something I have done that may have hurt her. And where does the enemy want to get? Right there. If he can break this apart, he's got a good start on all the rest. So it starts in the home. And that's where the wall has to be built. And then as the children see a mom and dad that love God and are willing to stick it out, they're watching. Because with raising children, it's more reproducing what we are than what we say. We can talk really good, but even those who talk well, Jesus said some of those who preached the gospel and saw souls saved, people healed, he, they're going to come to him and he's going to say, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. So my prayer for our church is that we will have this wall built around our homes. And as that wall is built around our homes like a hedge of protection against the enemy, then when the enemy comes and he comes to the mind and he wants to destroy, the battle is won or lost here. Um, in, in Vietnam War, there were approximately, well, approximately 50,000 men that lost their life. But did you know that since the Vietnam War, one, over 150,000 men have taken their own lives by suicide. Triple the amount of people that died by guns and whatever weapons in the natural took their own lives because they never won the battle here. It's the same for us. Sometimes it's not the physical punch that's destroying the home. It's the spiritual one. And it's decaying the family from the inside out. And my prayer is, oh God, raise up a standard in our relationships so that we will honor you in the way that we speak to each other, the way that we love each other, 
so that our homes can be surrounded by strong walls and the enemy will not have access to do whatever he wants because when you get the homes in order, then the church is a piece of cake because the church is made of homes, family units, established by God, tools of mass construction, So God calls us to pray. He calls us to a plan. And he calls us to be prepared with the proper weaponry. And I close with this. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war at the, as the world does. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When you begin to see forward motion in the spiritual realm, be prepared because the enemy won't like it. But know this, there is no plan that will succeed against the Lord. There is no weapon that is formed against you that will prosper. Yes, the enemy will come in like a flood. But indeed, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. So you are going to win if you continue to fight and don't give up. Don't allow the enemy to have the rule of your home. Say, God, I'm going to fight for my marriage. God, I'm going to fight for my wayward kids. God, I'm going to fight for my home. I'm going to fight so that your glory will be demonstrated through my family. It may be a hard fight and it may be a long fought fight, but don't give up because with God's help, you will be a restorer of homes and you will be a restorer of the proper walls so that the enemy will not have access to your family. So what is the sword that we carry on one hand while we have a tool on the other? the word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Isaiah says in 26 verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Another version says, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If you want to see God advance in your home against every spirit of darkness, then you have to have the word of God as a predominant factor in your home. All the smart psychological ideas will not bring your children into order. It is the power of the spirit of God that is going to do the work. And on that note, it won't bring your own life into order. Self-help books are good but they're not going to get the job done because the Spirit of God is the one that keeps us alive. And without His Spirit, what are we? We're dead. We can be smart. We can look good. But if the Spirit of God is not working on the inside, 
we can be dead men walking around and dead women. May God infuse, this is what the Spirit of the Lord impressed on my heart this morning, God infuse a fresh breath of life into me and to this church. Pastor Zach, would you come and just lead us in a song, uh, just some, some uh, music actually, just beginning with some music. I want to ask you friends this morning, How are the walls around you? Have they been broken down? Or are they strong? Because God wants them to be strong. But it's not just God that is going to do it for you. You have to work with him. He provides the tools. He provides the weapons. But you have to work and you have to fight. And you have to do what you've got to do. And part of that is setting aside time and saying, God, I need you. I seek you. So pray, ask God, God, how can I better organize my schedule so that I can demonstrate that seeking you is a priority. As we gather in prayer every Sunday night, I would really like to see you here. Not just because I want to say a lot of people attended a prayer meeting. That doesn't matter in the long, the long history of it. What really matters is what is God going to do? He is going to do something when we ask him to do something. And I believe there are things that are not yet being done in this church. Because some of you are not yet asking enough. And there are some things God is speaking to my heart that I'm not yet asking enough. So what's the answer? Simply ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to us. Maybe you're here today and you have lived your own life, done your own things, and the Spirit of God is tucking at your heart and saying, I want to be the Lord of your life. I want you to surrender to me completely. I want to come in and cleanse you of your sin, write your name in the book of life, and make you a brand new person. The Spirit of God is that one that changes us and gives us new life. And if you need that, that new life from the Lord today and you need a change of heart the Holy Spirit is here to do that right where you are you can make it an altar and I want to pray with you this morning if you would say pastor I I want to be ready to meet Jesus I want my name to be written in that book that when the pages are turned, my name will be there. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved. We follow in steps of obedience. We get baptized in water. We obey in reading God's word and living our lives. But the salvation comes through faith.
Are you willing to take that step of faith today and say, Jesus, I believe in you enough to surrender my life and my heart? If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand right where you're sitting? The Spirit of God will touch you and fill you and transform your life. God sees you, my brother, and you, my sister, and you, my sister, and you as well. God's in the restoration business. He doesn't want you to walk out of here with no hope because he loves you very much. I ask one more time, is there anyone else you didn't raise your hand before, but you, you would say, yes, pastor, I need a transformation in my heart. And I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Be glad to pray with you. God sees your hand as well, my sister. For each one of you who have raised your hand, now, as we take a step of faith, we're going to do exactly what the scripture says. With our mouth, we're going to confess. And with our heart, we're going to believe. You ready? Church body, would you join with me? And friends who raised your hand, I just invite you to pray this prayer with me. Nothing magical about the prayer except it's a communication with God. He hears and he responds. So would you join with me? Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you for giving your life for me so that I could be set free from the bondage of sin. I choose today to live my life in obedience to you. Please forgive me of my sin and wash my heart clean and make me a new person. Please write my name in the book of life. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength to live my life for you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord has done it. Let's give the Lord praise. Three quick things I want to share with you who raised your hand. Three important things. You need to talk to God daily. He's listening and he loves you. God wants to talk to you daily. Listen to him. He speaks through his word. We have a Bible reading plan at the Welcome Center for you to follow. If you'd like to. I recommend reading the New Testament. And seeing how Jesus lived his life and the things that he taught us and put those to practice. Number three, get together with people that love Jesus and learn the word of God. And we welcome you to do that here at Christian Life Center with open arms.